0: Help us hear. And ask that in your name. Amen. Awesome. I like soundtrack. I like soundtracks. I should have a soundtrack all the time. Um, I'd probably do better at my job if I had a soundtrack. All right. Well, it's good to see all of you here today. Um, we're. I'm very excited, and uh just have to give me a few seconds to uh, just take a deep breath here, because I really am excited, even though I feel a little spaced out, to be honest with you. But I'm very excited about the series that we're in, but not only am I very excited about the series, I'm excited about this year, because when Rod and I were uh, sitting and praying over what we wanted to do, one of the things we kind of came up with was, for this year is that we want people, we want us, all of us, to be people who, um, when people are around us, they're transformed because of the relationship we have with Jesus. That, that our neighbors, that the people we work with, our family, the people in this community, because of how pressed in, how close we are to Jesus, um, people are transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's our hope. And so, as we thought through some of that, what we decided was is to take the six values of the village and break them up through the year and get ourselves and kind of just wrestle with those values. Now, those values are things that help us understand how we do things. Everything we do kind of runs through these values. So the six values are authenticity, community, the disciplines, truth, accessibility, um, and creativity. And so the other thing we thought was, you know, it'd be really good for the leaders of our community to actually introduce the values. Um, because we wanted not just Rod and my voice to be talking about the values, but for you to hear people who are out amongst you doing ministry um, to be speaking about these values and how they've impacted them. So last week, uh, we had Mike, who's sick, uh but he, he did authenticity and he did a great job and, and he's a very good speaker and he's really funny and I love listening to Mike. But he had three points that, and he was talking about authenticity and he said authenticity is three things. One is it's being able to suffer well, being willing to be honest about your suffering and being honest about God's sovereignty in that and not being someone who is just a loud sounding gong about all the bad things in your life, but being willing to be honest about them and honest about how God's involved in them. The second thing he said was that authenticity um, is about not being interested in yourself or not having it be all about you, but actually be about Jesus. And he used Galatians 2.20. and he used, The life that that we now live is not our life, but Christ's life, the life of Christ. And so he talked about what it looks like to set aside your own identity. To be authentic in the kingdom of God is to live in Christ's life, to live in Christ's values. And then the third thing he said about being authentic was that authenticity is about doing something. It's about putting off the old and putting on the new. And he talked about Colossians chapter 3 and about how being authentic means that we put aside selfishness, we put aside greed, we put aside sexual immorality, and we begin this process of clothing ourselves with love and humility and long-suffering. And this is what it looks like to be an authentic person. And when we do that, we begin to actually be real humans. We begin to live out a life like Jesus. Now, a simple definition really of authenticity is just the ability to be honest with God and honest with other people about what's going on with you. To be honest with God and honest with other people. Because if you're unwilling to be authentic, there are three things, and there are a lot of things that happen to you, but let me categorize them. There are three things that happen to you. Number one is that if you're not honest with God and you're not honest with other people, then it's impossible for you to worship. It becomes impossible for you to worship God, because if in your relationship with God and other people you're unwilling to be honest, that means that you have a whole set of other things that you're worshiping. And so to be honest with God and to be honest with others is to expose all of the other things that you organize your life around, okay? And the thing is, when you begin to be honest with God, in particular, but then with his people, there becomes this demand that you set aside the gods of your life, the things that you arrange your life around. The second thing that happens to you, if you're unwilling to be honest with God and other people, is that you begin to be fake, right? Because you begin to have to live out a reality that isn't true, especially if you decide to stick around in the kingdom of God. If you want to come to church, when people ask you how you're doing, you're like, eh, I'm okay, things are good, right? And your whole life becomes a facade, and you become a person who doesn't really talk about substance at all, whose conversations in life mostly revolve around television and sports and how the weather is, which gets old after a while, right? But that's mostly because there's no honesty between you and God and you and people. The third thing that happens when you aren't authentic is, or the result of not being honest with God and other people is that you become issue-driven and not cross-driven. Let me explain that. What most of us do, if you go into, or if you watch TV or you go into the magazine section, we all are trying to fix ourselves. We're trying to fix ourselves in the Christian community. There are tons and tons of books on how to fix you. What you're supposed to do. How to lose weight. How to get a better job. How to dress for success. How to fix, you know, that part of your body that you don't like. There's a whole long list of things that we begin to work with. I need to be nicer. I need to have less anger. I need to deal with my alcohol problem. I need to deal with my, you know, Being single all the time, and I don't want to be single, like we begin to focus on this thing and figure out what we're doing wrong what we're doing right. And what happens is we consistently fail. We consistently don't succeed because all of us are extremely broken by sin. And so when we begin to focus on our own issues, it only works for a little while. And if it does work at all, we become prideful. But usually it doesn't work. So when I say the result of not being authentic, not being honest about where you are with people and with God. Um, the reality is if 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 you decide to be cross-driven instead of um, issue-driven, you realize that the only way that you can survive life, the only way you can be transformed, the only way you can begin to put on patience and long-suffering and be transformed is if you look at the cross with gratitude if you realize that the cross is the only hope that you have. The cross is the only thing that will change you. It's the only place where your sins can be forgiven, where things can be transformed. All of that begins with being honest with God and being honest with other people. So when you think about authenticity, and it's in your mind, a short definition is just being honest with God and honest with other people. Now, what we decided to do in this series, and the reason I'm excited is we've decided to take some passages of Scripture and take some books that actually kind of tease out the value. So over the next six weeks or so, we're going to be talking about authenticity, and we're going to be talking about the minor prophet Habakkuk. Okay, I know you're all excited about Habakkuk. Okay, Now, a minor prophet... Um, if you can find him, he's, I think he's on page 981. He's in the Old Testament. Now he's, when he's called minor, doesn't mean that he's less than the major prophets. Just means he's shorter. Okay? And shorter, not by height, for those of you who are shorter than me, which means most of you, except for Rod. Um, you know, if you're thinking of a major prophet, you're thinking of Ezekiel, you're thinking of Jeremiah, you're thinking of Isaiah. If you're thinking of minor prophets, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Nahum, those kinds of people. They're all writing to Israel. They all have something important to say. They just get categorized by the length. Now, Habakkuk um, lands in about 600 BC. And I could give you a lot of historical background, but let's just go with this. Everything is bad. Okay? When Habakkuk gets onto the internet he is following the movements of the Babylonians who are coming soon. Okay? When he reads the local newspaper, people are, there's corruption everywhere. People are taking advantage of everyone. And when he goes to church, the temple, he looks around and he's discouraged by the apathy and by the inauthenticity of his community. So for Habakkuk things, are not good. Things are not good. Now we don't know anything else really about Habakkuk. But but the structure of Habakkuk, we know probably that he's a Levite. That means he's to translate it into modern terms, he's a pastor, he's a musician. And the way the Habakkuk is structured, it's kind of like a public liturgy. So he's writing, the first two chapters are sort of what would be read in service, and then the last chapter or so is a psalm. So Habakkuk is an artist, and this is, in a sense, a psalm. Now, I don't know if you've read the psalms, but the psalms are a little bit, um, I don't know if they're ADD, or they're just a little chaotic, because you go along, and there's a psalm that says, God, you're awesome. You're bigger than all the mountains. You're wonderful, and And it goes on and on about how great God is. And then the next Psalm is, everything is bad. You're bad. You never listen to me. I don't understand what's going on. And then the next one is, things are okay, you know, but they could be better. And then the Psalms have this agony to them. They're written by, they're, they're for us to understand how to express our emotions and our frustrations and our longings to God and to be honest and true to Him and to ourselves. And that's what Habakkuk is. Habakkuk is a place where we can begin to kind of wrestle with reality. Now here's the thing about Habakkuk. His name means embracer or wrestler. Embracer of God or wrestler with God. Okay? If my, my daughter decided on Friday at little thing we had at our house, that she was not allergic to cheese. She hasn't had cheese for a year and a half. She's like, I am not allergic to cheese. She had two slices of pizza, and she turned green within hours and puked all night. And she's in my office right now, and kind of huddled in the corner trying to get her homework done for tomorrow. So I was going to have her in here for an illustration. But she's not... But I was going to ask her to come up here and hug me. And if you would notice the way that my daughter hugs me, is she just, it's full-on embrace. And I can kiss her on the head. And there's a lot of intimacy there. I don't hug any of you other than my wife like that. And I promise I won't kiss any of you on the head when I do hug you. But I don't know if you've noticed about hugging at all, but everybody has a different style of hugging that they're comfortable with, right? Some of you are only comfortable with like the arm thing. Some of you are comfortable with sort of the side arm thing. Some of you who are teenagers think that like the full-on hug of people you don't really know is a good idea that's too long, right? Because what is it about hugging? Hugging produces some kind of intimacy. And the longer that hold is... You feel a person's body. I don't know if you've seen that art project where the guy took people who didn't know each other and posed them in very intimate posings and then took pictures of them. Well, those people have actually formed relationships with each other. They didn't know these people that they were in intimate poses. There's something about embracing someone. Now, I've also noticed with guys, this, you know, maybe it's less and less in this culture, but it's kind of weird, but some guys you get in a fist fight, they like hate each other, and then they get in a fist fight, and they're all bloody, and then they love each other, like, and they love each other forever, and they're like best bros. There is something about relationship that comes through physical engagement that enhances it. It form, it creates an intimacy. Okay, so the reason that we're talking about authenticity and we're looking at Habakkuk, is because in Habakkuk's name is a man who is willing to be authentic with God. His name even means basically being authentic. He's willing to wrestle with God. He's willing to hug God. He's willing to have an intimate relationship with God. Now, for most of us, when bad things happen in our life, when the world doesn't seem to be going the way we want it to, we turn around and back away from God. But the example that Habakkuk places for us is if you want to be authentic, then you have got to stand face-to-face with God and grapple with Him and embrace Him. Authenticity comes out of intimacy. You and I can't have an authentic relationship. I can't have an authentic relationship with my wife if there's no intimacy, if there's no gentleness, if there's no knowing, if there's no willing to stand to sit and look at each other and to talk to each other. We can't have an authentic relationship if there's no intimacy. So the first thing I want you to think about and to hold on to is that the man who is speaking here, the man who is a man who's willing to embrace God, a man who's willing to wrestle with God. And he's going to do it in a really unique way. Now, I would really encourage you, if you can, to go to my dad's little, my mom and dad's, uh, Potter's Wheel Day. It's a spiritual development day. This Saturday. You'll learn a lot. It'll be really good. It's only 40 bucks. It's not a lot of money. Come to it. But, if you didn't know what my dad does, is they have a ministry called Journey Companions Ministry. And one of the things that they do, it's called, it's one of their seminars, is called Learning to Love the Master. And what you do in that, is you sit down, you go on a retreat, and you write out uh, your story of your life. But the way you do it is you begin to to dialogue about things that have been happening in your life, and then you ask God about them, and then you respond by writing down what God says. And you begin to learn to actually hear God and have a dialogue with God. Well, this is actually... Habakkuk, you didn't know this, but my dad went back in time and took Habakkuk through learning to love the Master, and this is his product, okay? This is what his story is. And so we're going to watch where Habakkuk says, ah, why is this going on? And then he'll write down God's answer, and then he'll say, God, why did you answer that way? And there's this dialogue, and you'll see Habakkuk's relationship evolve with God and come to the realizations. But tonight... We're going to kind of walk through all this really slow. So we're just going to go through the first four verses. So we have this man. And, and the interesting thing about Habakkuk, you also remember, is he's asking you and I to go through it together. He's, this isn't his personal journal, in a sense. It's his personal journal that he's actually leading all of us through. This is supposed to be a public worship thing. So he's asking all of us to enter in to his struggle and to enter into what's going on with him. In his life situation. So let me read to you the first verse of Habakkuk, a man who lives in a time that's just bad. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. The oracle... Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but you don't really actually need to be a Greek scholar these days to understand the original language, because here's the amazing thing that you live in. You live in a time when there are hundreds and hundreds of translations of the Bible where really smart people with really thick glasses translated the Bible from the original language. And so if you want to understand what the words are, then get a couple translations and read how they translate a particular sentence. If there's any confusion on it, then it will vary. If there isn't, it won't. If it says, you know, so-and-so was a prophet in all of those translations, then so-and-so was a prophet. The language isn't confusing at all. So you can learn a lot about the original language by simply reading lots of versions. So if you read this first sentence in a lot of different translations, what you find out is some say a vision, some say an oracle, some say a prophecy. But what it literally means then is that God gave Habakkuk something special. Now, we're going to find out that it doesn't feel very special at the beginning, but I want to say that if you want to be an authentic person and you choose to face God and, and begin to form some kind of intimacy with him, that the burdens and your sufferings get pushed to the side and you begin to adopt God's burdens and God's struggles you begin to see things through god's eyes and so habakkuk receives god's burden and here's how it begins it says how long o lord must i call for help but you do not listen now if i were going to write a service here and i was going to you know read it i would start out with something like god you're really good and we're all happy to be here and we love you and you created things no, Habakkuk starts out, how long, O oh Lord, do I have to cry out and you don't listen? That's the public cry. Now, this isn't the kind of cry where you, you see, you know, a little kid walking behind his mom going, mom, 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 mom. No, this is a cry that says, mother, help, right? This is This is desperate and you're going to pick this up. Desperate. You know what? He says, how long do I have to cry out? And this word, listen, is, and you don't pay attention. You don't deem what I have to say as important. That's pretty ostentatious, huh? That's pretty brave. To to face the living God and say, I'm crying and you aren't paying attention to me. How long do I have to do this? How long do I have to do this? How long do I have to do this? The thing that Habakkuk offers us about authenticity is that we can face God in the midst of whatever is going on and we can yell and we can cry and we can say, are you going to listen to me? And we can make noise about things. Now, he says, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Now, for, for Habakkuk, the Babylonians are coming. And the way the Babylonians work is if they like your wife, they take your wife. If they like your house, they take your house. If they like your town, they kill you and take your town. There, there are the worst kind of people, right? We talked about this a while ago. The Romans are pretty bad, but the Babylonians are even worse, and they give the Assyrians a run for their money. We just think bad. Violent. Now, when I was looking at this text, I went online just to read the Tucson Daily Star online, and, you know, and that day, two people had been run over, and a couple people had been shot, and there was a couple bank robberies. Um, and that was just locally. And then I was, you know, I don't know if you've been following what's happening in Sudan and in Afghanistan. Like You live in a time, hasn't changed. You live in the same time that Habakkuk lived in. But I want you to hear something that you probably don't have that Habakkuk does have, and it's what makes him authentic and what we struggle with as Americans is there's an urgency. Because I'm pretty comfortable and one of the things that we've done as Americans is that we, we don't go to that part of town and we lock our doors and we have alarm systems and we're safe and we're okay. And we kind of get anesthetized by our safety and our caution and our carefulness. Right? So when, when we go to question God, it's actually kind of a selfish questioning and actually not a very authentic questioning we usually go to God to question why he's knocking us out of our comfortability. Not why violence goes unanswered. Not why we feel alone in the brokenness in the world around us, and our own brokenness. We we tend to be frustrated that life isn't working right. But Habakkuk has an urgency. He says, I'm crying out, you're not listening, there's violence everywhere and... You're doing nothing. You're not saving anyone. Verse 3. Why do you make me look at injustice? And why do you tolerate wrongdoing? This is the finish of his questions of God. First, he says, Why do you make me look at wrongdoing? you know, I was just talking to somebody at this church and they looked at me and said, you know what, I'm done being here. Not like the person wanted to commit suicide. It wasn't a good place. He was happy about his life. He says, I'm just done being here. I want to go home. I'm done with the brokenness. I'm done with the darkness. I'm done with it completely. Just done. Done with evil. Well, that's what Habakkuk is saying here. How long do you have to have me sit here and look at evil? Like, how do I? why do I have to? I, an unholy person, has to sit and look at this. This is becoming unbearable. Now, I want you to understand that when Habakkuk has an oracle revealed to him, when he is someone who's intimate with God, he's beginning to have God's heart. And now he's dialoguing with God. And so he says, how long do I have to be here? And then he says, how on earth can you tolerate this? Like, you're holy. I'm I'm just, you know, my best is a filthy rag, Romans spoke, and I'm frustrated. You must be frustrated. You must be frustrated. I don't know if I really spend a lot of time thinking about how God feels about the darkness. Usually I'm trying to survive, trying to stay safe. To be someone who's authentic and honest, you have to be, you have to have a little urgency. If you leave today with anything, this is what I want you to leave with, that being an authentic person in the kingdom of God requires a sense of urgency about the brokenness of this world and about our own struggle and the struggles of people around us. And that if God really is the only source of peace and of healing and of glory, then we ought to be at a place where we're like, God, you've you got to do something. you got to do something. That in our agonies at this point, in our agonies, because we're going to join Habakkuk in his agony, in our agonies we need to have some urgency some expectation we should be desperate because we actually live in desperate times. Now, Habakkuk tells us why. Why he's asking these questions. He says, destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds easy translation is everything's bad things are not going well verse 4 therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails the wicked hem in the righteous so the justice is perverted this is now for us we read over them we think eh, that's that's true we've all experienced that right justice doesn't seem to be something that happens for most people but for a Hebrew to look at God and say the law is not working. The thing that you gave us that tells us what sin is and the consequences for sin, the thing that's holy, the thing that makes us who we are as Israelites, it doesn't work. It's become useless. Why has it become useless? Because evil people are using it. So so. Habakkuk says, God, the very thing that you gave us is not giving us peace. It's not working. And why? Because the very few people who would actually use the law correctly, they're so surrounded by evil that justice barely ever happens. Now, we live in a society that supposedly builds its life and its function on justice, on the law and the rule of law. But honestly, as you read the news, as you have lived out your life, do you really think that justice happens? And yeah, sometimes. But I, I don't think it does. And, and for you, maybe it happens a little bit. For most people in this world, it doesn't happen at all. And so for, for Habakkuk, he starts off this liturgy, this service his ag and his agony is gone things are bad you need to do something i'm crying and you seem silent tonight i want you to sit in that god's going to answer and I'll, I'll you can read ahead but i'll give you a preview when you ask these kind of questions be ready for god's answer but i want you to sit in it for a while i want you to sit in the brokenness The disappointment. And I want you to think, okay, if I'm a kingdom dweller, to be authentic, I need to face God and I need to begin to ask Him with some sense of urgency, what the heck are you going to do about this? Why is this this way? Please do something. Now, Habakkuk is an artist. And what we've decided this year is that we really, really want you to do hands-on things. We want you to get dirty a little bit and practice. So, for instance, at the end of Habakkuk, we're going to go into Lent, and Rod has put together a, um, a devotional for Lent. And so we're all going to do that devotional together, And then on Good Friday, we're going to get together and talk it through and see what God has said and done. But for Habakkuk, what I want you to do is I want you to artistically respond. And because I'm kind of ADD, I left my 3 by 5 cards and my pencils somewhere in this building. But I will find them and hand them out. But I want you to respond in three ways or one of three ways, and you can add to this, but I'm going to kind of direct you. Number one, I would like you to respond if you're a painter or if you like painting as a painter. But I want you to paint a picture, get a canvas, something. You can do it digitally, however. But I want you to do a progressive canvas. I don't want you to do it all at once. I want you to go home this week, find a canvas, find some paint, and begin to put your agony, the things that are bothering you, the things that you feel like God's not listening to you about, the things... That you're wrestling with, I want you to put them on that canvas in color, in picture form. And as you walk with Habakkuk, I want your painting to develop. Some of you are musicians and love to write songs. I want you to write a song, a series of songs, songs that we can sing as a community that express our agony and express the revelations of who God is that happen in Habakkuk. The third thing, if you can't do either one of those, some I know a big chunk of you like to write. So I'm going to ask you to do something maybe a little exposing. I'm going to ask you to walk along with Habakkuk and write a public journal. A public journal that can be posted inside these frames, a public journal that's in a book, a public journal that you'll stand up during Lent and read out loud to the community. Parts of you're wrestling, and you're hearing God, kind of you're learning to love the master. Now, if neither, if none of those work for you, maybe you'd like to do a sculpture. Maybe you have a better idea. You can do that. But what I want to do, and somehow I didn't prep very well for this, is I'm going to hand out three by five cards, and I want you to write your name and what you're going to do because I'm going to hold you, along with the leaders, hold you accountable to doing it. I'm going to email you, I'm going to call you, I'm going to say, how's your journal going? How's your painting coming? How's the songwriting happening? Because I want you to feel this, because Habakkuk wants you to feel this. This isn't just an intellectual exercise. I want to connect you to what's happening in the world, what's happening in this community that's painful and frustrating and not the way it's supposed to be. I want us, if we're going to be disciples who are rooted and who are people who are authentic, then we're going to have to we're going to have to practice. We're going to have to express. We're going to have to join Habakkuk in his little thing. So, I'm actually going to ask Rod if he would come up and pray for me, or pray for us, and do communion. And I'm going to go get three by five cards and hand them out as he's coming up. You walk out of here not remembering anything, remember that being authentic has a lot to do with anticipation, with a desperateness.